Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Okay, today's mission is chapter 13. Uh, chapter 1, Mishnah 13, um, Mishnah Yud Gimel. The, so then, There's something very, very strange about this Mishnah. And the thing that's most strange about the Mishnah is actually not its content. The thing that's most strange about the Mishnah is the fact that it's in Aramaic. And all Mishnahis, almost all the Mishnahis, I'll point out in places where it isn't, but in almost all Mishnahis, um, they are in Hebrew. Here, the Mishnah reverts to the language of Aramaic. And why would, um, why would Rabbi Yudan Nasi, teaching Hillel's dictum, and, and Hillel himself, really, why would, he have, why would he have switched to the Aramaic language and not use the Hebrew, um, which was the normal language of the Mishnais? I pointed out also yesterday that it's an anomaly that we find also at the very beginning of the Haggadah. The Haggadah is called Magid, right? The main part of the Haggadah is called Magid, the part where we tell over the story of the Exodus of Egypt. It's the longest part of the Haggadah. And it begins in Aramaic. And that is Aramaic. And you would imagine, and you know, there's some of the answers that they give is because it was the language of the people, and therefore we were talking to the people. Okay, it's very nice. It's also that angels don't understand the language of Aramaic. Um, so this way it was the Shekhinah himself was there to, to, is there to listen to us. Okay, well, that's beautiful. But there perhaps was another choice that the Chachamim made to switch to Aramaic, to send us another very powerful, important message at the beginning of the Haggadah. So let's take a look. When we meet Aram, when it says in um, Bracious in chapter 25, verse 20, that Yitzchak was 40 years old, when he got married to Rivka, and he gives the lineage, he gives the Yichos of Rivka. It says she was the daughter of Besul the Aramean, mi Padan Aram, from Padan in Aramea. Achos Lavan, the sister of Lavan, Ha'arami, the Aramean, Lailisha, he took her for himself for a wife. So the commentaries point out that in that Pasuk, it says three times that she was from the land of Arami. Now, Arami is the land where, where swindlers came from. It's a, a language of swindling, it's a, it's a land of swindlers, and it's just giving us the yichos of Rivka, that she was the daughter of Basul, the Arami, who was from Padan, Aram, who was the sister of Lavan, the Arami, as if to say that even though she was from a country of swindlers, from a family of swindlers, her brother himself was a swindler par excellence, nevertheless, she became Rivka, and she became the wife of Yitzchak, and she became one of the most of Chayosot. It's almost as if it's saying, despite the fact that she was from this kind of background and from this kind of family, she became the kind of person that she became. I think it's saying something else to us. Because the Lashon of Arami, we know that every language 
is it really um, it expresses some of the um, some of the values of where that language is coming from. That's why Hebrew is called Lashon Hakodesh because it expresses the kedusha of the of the Jewish people, and that's the reason why there are certain words that don't exist in Hebrew. There are certain phrases, expressions that don't exist in Hebrew because it is a lashon that is a reflection of the kedusha. It's a reflection of the holiness of the Jewish people. Arami is considered a reflection, an expression of the way that the Arameans think. Now, what do you need to have? What do you need to possess in order to be able to, um, in order to be able to be a successful swindler? You know, to, to be somebody who's, uh, who's, who's able to, to take advantage of another person, somebody who's able to, to a con artist, right? Maybe it's a, a better word than a swindler, but a con artist. So what do you need to be a good con artist? So the truth is what you need more than anything else is that you need to understand the other person's interests. When you have a conversation with another person and you're, you're, you know, you're trying to take advantage of them, you want to sell them some timeshare in you know, outer Mongolia. So you're, you're, not, you're not going to be able to on the, um, on the strength of that timeshare, you're not going to be able to sell that. It could be the nicest timeshare in the world. It could be an incredible deal. It could be a, a, a cheap like anything. But at the end of the day, Outer Mongolia is never going to become attractive. Until you find out what this person is missing in their life, until you find out what this person's vulnerabilities are, when you find out what this person's shortcomings are. So then you look at it and you go, oh, you'll sell it to them. You know, if, if they have you know, a certain thing that's been happening in their lives, or they're a kind of person you can pick up right away. They don't really like being around crowds. You can tell them, oh, you're not going to believe it. There's very few people here. Or if they, if they love a certain kind of flower or whatever, you're going to sell to them based on that flower. They're all over the place. We'll deliver them to your house every day for nothing. Whatever it is you're going to try in a quick conversation, you can try to understand exactly what's going on with them, and you're going to speak to that point in them. You're going to talk to what they're sensitive about. Use car salesman, a good used car salesman has a very quick conversation with a person, but he's got his whole life sized up in those, in those three minutes of conversation. He understands exactly, he understands he has kids, he understands what kind of business he does, and he's going to sell him the car based on what's going on in that person's life, what the other person's interests are. Look, I, what, I want, what I want, I know what I want, but what you want, I have to learn very, very quickly and understand what you respond to. And until I know that, I'm never going to get what I want. And that's what a swindler is. A swindler, a con artist, is a person who has an incredible ability. And the better you are at it, the better of a con artist you are. People like to use the word charisma. It's not charisma in this case. In this case, it is, it is the ability to be able to understand another person and what the other person's needs are. When this is used, Lura, then it's a, it's a swindler. It's a horrific thing. But it could be used, Lataiv, it could be used on the good side, and then you become an incredibly sensitive, helpful person. You become a person who can, can help somebody else in an incredible way because you get right away what's going on with that person. A good teacher has this ability to be able to listen to what's going on with the other person. A good therapist has this ability. You know, a bad therapist is a therapist that knows their malacha very, very well. 
has passed their test very well, but has no ability to really understand the other person where they're coming from, to hear. Notice they know that if you're presenting me this problem, this is how this problem is dealt with. But it's not necessarily how you are going to deal with this problem. It's not necessarily how you are going to be able to get yourself out of the issues that you have. And that's what a, what a good therapist, a good friend, a good listener, a person who has this ability to be able to focus on the other person has that ability to be able to say, what do you need? Not what's the formula here, not what's the principle here, but what do you need? You know, I, I might have told the story over, but they, they say that, they, I've heard it from the Briscoe Rav, I've heard it from, said over in, on other people's names also. There was a fellow that came before Pesach and asked the following Shiloh. He said, I'm, uh, can I do Dalit Kosos, the four cups of wine on Pesach? Can I use milk for the Dalit Kosos? I don't have wine, can I use milk? So the Briskorov calls the fellow in and he gives him a ton of money. The guy says, all I did was ask about whether I could use milk for the Arba Kosos. So what are you giving me all this money for? He says, because I understood that you don't have money to buy meat and you don't have money to buy food for the Seder. Says, How did you understand that? He says, because if you're asking me about Dalit Kosos on milk, that means the first two cups is no problem. You can make on milk because you haven't eaten anything yet. But the second two cups is after the sudas, after the meal. And if you ate fleshics by the meal, then you can never use milk for the second two cups. And if you're asking me if you can use milk for cup number three and cup number four, it means you're not planning on eating meat at the meal. And if you're not planning on eating meat at the meal, it's because you can't afford meat and therefore I need to help you. That's being able to listen to the other person, to be able to understand where the other person is coming from. That's the Lushan Arami. That's the language of Aramean. The, the whole Talmud is written in Aramaic because the whole Talmud is question and answer. Iboyulhu asks the Gemara the following halachic query. Ba, 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 what about this? What about this? And you have to listen to what the other person is saying. You have to listen, not just to the answer to the response or to the question, but understand what's really the depths of the question. Look, when we study Gemara, one of the questions that we ask the most is, what's the Gemara's kasha? What's the Gemara really asking? Not, I can, I can read an art school, I can translate it, I can do very nicely in that. But that's not the thing. You have to know what exactly is bothering the Gemara. What exactly is it, where is it coming from? That's the language, Aramaic is the language of understanding where another person is coming from. Lavan had this ability in spades. He had this ability to be able to understand, and that's why it calls him the Lavan Arami from Padana Ram. His father was Bisul the Arami. It is all about Aramean, and we want, the Torah wants us to know that Rivka had it too. Lavan used it to swindle. Lovan used it to be dishonest, and Rivka used it to do chasadim. Rivka did it to be able to establish the Jewish people, to be able to teach her son what to do in a situation so that he could go and get the bracha, the blessing. Rivka used it in a positive way. And what the Torah is telling me, the reason why it introduces Rivka this way, why it says Arami three times is to tell me that not despite the fact that she grew up with swindlers, but because she grew up with swindlers, because she grew up with people that were able to focus on the other person and what the other person needs, that's why she was able to become who she was, because she took that nida, she took that characteristic, and she applied it with time, she applied it for good. Anytime we try to understand somebody else's point of view, 
that's the that's what's indicated. That's what is being reflected in the Lushan Arami, in the Aramaic language. I'll tell you another fantastic, incredible thing from this week's Pasha. It isn't the Pasha class, but it's a, it's an amazing thing. Pasha's Kedoshim. So it talks about in both Pasha's Acharimos and in Pasha's Kedoshim, the double Pasha's that we have this week about marriages that you're not allowed to have in the Jewish people. One of those marriages is, is that you are not allowed to marry your sister. And the Torah says, and a man who takes his sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and he sees her nakedness, and she sees his, Chesed who, I didn't write this, by the way, this is in the Torah. Chesed who, it says in the Torah. Now, if you translate it the way you would translate it, so then you would read it, that it is a kindness, and they are cut off in front of the, in front of the people. What? Did, did, did I read that correctly? I, I, I promise you, I didn't make this up, and I didn't write this in my own Chumash. It says, Ervasai Chesed who? That if you sleep with your sister, you, have, you, have, you marry your sister, he says, chesed who it is a kindness. What does that mean? So we look at Rashi. I'm going to bring Rashi's second shot before the first shot. The second shot that Rashi brings is Midrasho, that in Tomar, Kayan, Nasa, Chosov, you're going to say that, look, Kayan married his sister. That, that's, the way we, that's the way the Jewish people began. It says that she gave birth, Chava gave birth to Es Kayan, to Es Hevel, so we understand that the word S means with. So with Kayan, there was a sister that was born. With Hevel, there was a sister that was born. And they both married, they, they married their, basically their sisters, the other one's twin. So um, you're going to say that Kayan married Achoso, he married his sister. Chesed Osa Makam Livnois That was a chesed. That was a kindness that God allowed the world to be built up because we needed people in the world. But now, if you do that, it's like a euphemism. It's the opposite of a real chesed. It is, a, it is not a chesed at all. Okay. There are many pshatim like that to explain why the chesed, but Rashi's first pshat is incredible. Rashi says very, very simply, Lashon Arami Cherpa, Chasuda. Rashi says that this is one of the places in the Torah where the Torah used an Aramaic word. And it used the word chesed, which in Aramaic means cherpa, means shame. Isn't that fascinating? In Hebrew, the word chesed means kindness. In Aramaic, the very same word chesed means cherpa, means shame. Because think about it in the context of what we're talking about. When I do a chesed, how do I feel? I feel great. I feel, I feel fulfilled. I feel whole. I was able to do a kindness. I could do something for you. But how do you feel? You feel embarrassed. You feel uncomfortable. You feel that you had to come on to, to people. The Hebrew word is my perspective, the perspective of the doer. The Aramaic word is the perspective of the receiver the perspective of the one who is receiving this kindness. In my mind, I could think that I'm doing a kindness, I'm marrying my sister, but it's not a kindness. The Torah is not focusing on kindness. The Torah is focusing on, it's a cherpa. No matter what your motivation is, it is a cherpa. It is a busha. 
It is an embarrassment. It is something that is horrific. It's disgusting. Because we're not focused on the doer. That's the Hebrew word, chesed. This is not the same word. This is the word chesed cherpa because it's focusing on the receiver. Because Aramaic focuses on the receiver. That's the reason why the Haggadah begins in Aramaic. We could have said it nicely in Hebrew. Why? And, and by the way, it would fit into the tune also. It would all be good. Why in Aramaic? Because we're beginning the Seder. What is the entire basis of the Seder? Arba Kushot, four questions. Questions and answers. And a ben shoyl, the child, asks the father. And when the child asks the parent, the parent has to answer the child, but has to answer that child. That's why we speak about the Arbabanim, the four sons in the Haggadah, because what the Haggadah needs to teach us is how to answer that child, not how to answer a child, not how to answer the Mitsuyendika child, the perfect child, how to answer that child. Every child, Baruch HaMakam Baruch Hu, we say Baruch four times before we say the four children, because we say that we appreciate every challenge, every kind of child that we have. We have some children, Chachamim, some Rishoyim, some Tam, some Shainu Daily Shol. We have four different types of children. Thank you, God, for giving me every single one of those types. I appreciate those types, but I need to learn how to answer that child. The Chacham, I got to give him a certain kind of answer. The Rosh, I got to give him a certain kind of answer. The Tom, I got to give him a certain kind of answer. The Shenu Yudei Lashol, my wife has to give him the answer. At Betachlo, it says in the feminine, the mom has to talk to him. Because that one needs to be opened up completely. And to open him up, he needs the kindness. He needs the softness of the mother. I need to understand that I need to listen to the person that asked me a question. Not answer the question. I have to answer the questioner. And therefore, the Haggadah has to start in Aramaic to put me in the proper frame of mind, to remind me. Lushen Arami, Aramaic, it's the Lushen of considering another person's perspective. And that's the reason why Hillel taught me this principle, not in Hebrew, but he taught it to me in Aramaic. Because what's the principle of this Mishnah? The principle is listen to the other person. Consider it from their perspective. Think about what you're outputting, not just what you're receiving. Think about the way you're being perceived, not just about what you are perceiving. And if that's the case, in order to be able to teach that you have to focus on the other person's perspective, Hillel taught us this Mishnah in Aramaic to cause us to stop, to pause, to think, to ask, why is this in Aramaic? It's in Aramaic because it is the language of the other person's perspective. When we talk about Shalom, when we talk about Shlemus, Shlemus can only be achieved Shlemus is not just my own internal Shlemus, which is the first step. But to become a Shalem, I have to consider 
me in terms of you. I have to consider not what I'm receiving from you, but what I am outputting. What am I giving to you? What, are, what am I showing you? How are you perceiving the things that I'm doing? And that's the second step that Hillel teaches us in this concept of Shalom of Shlemus. Now, if you look at tomorrow's Mishnah, I'll just give you a little taste. Huhayo Aymer used to say, maybe one of the most famous Mishnahists in Pikyavos, Im ein ani li, me li, if I am not for me, then who is going to be for me? I got to worry about numero uno. But me, when I'm only for me, Mo'ani, what am I? V'im achshov, And if not now, when? But what does that have to do with the rest of the Mishnah? That's true anywhere, anytime, in any Mishnah, you could have ended it with the words, If not now, when? Why would it be Dafka in that Mishnah? And how does this Mishnah fit into this whole perspective that we've been giving, that it's not Shlemus Shalom, means I have to be Shalom with myself, I then have to be connected to you, principally, fundamentally, we have to be connected to the same things, and when we're connected to the same things, then we are connected to each other, and my focus has to be on you, has to be on what I'm obligated to do and how you are perceiving my fulfillment of my obligations. How does this next mission fit into that run? And that will be tomorrow.